six and zero oh in overtime. They go the night three and one. Couple of overtime wins against Dallas, and here comes Bennett. Nice move at the line in the middle for Hagee. Great call by Chris Cuthbert uh, yet again, and we have a series. Now, I know it wasn't very long ago when I was having a lot of fun with the comparisons between the Florida Panthers and the 2012 Los Angeles Kings. And listen, a lot of it was, oh, just snuck into the playoffs, uh, knocked off a heavyweight in the first round, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the real fun was sort of measuring up player versus player. You know, with Sergei Bobrovsky playing the role of Jonathan Quick, Alexander Barkov playing the role of Anse Kopitz, are uh, Brandon Montour playing the role of Drew Doughty and playing the role of Justin Williams we mentioned was Carter Verhage and after last night prove me that I'm wrong Carter Verhage with yet another clutch goal Carter Verhage with yet another game winner Carter Verhage with yet an overtime dagger for the Florida Panthers and we have a series thankfully I don't like sweeps in the final. Uh, you probably don't like sweeps in the final, unless you're a Vegas Golden Knights fan and you just want to be done with all of this. But even if you're a Vegas Golden Knights fan, probably there's a part of you way, way in the back of your brain somewhere saying, even though it might cause a little bit of mild sports anxiety, eh, it's still kind of like a game five. Can maybe win the Stanley Cup at home. Be a nice party. Congratulations to the Florida Panthers, and thankfully they make it a series of Florida Live Arena last night. It took overtime. It took a couple of players playing hero. One, Matthew Kachuk, uh, who just got crushed uh, by Keegan Colasar early. Shoulder-to-shoulder check. Great hit, all of it. Um, went to concussion protocol and, and got cleared and then came back. Um, so he plays hero towards the end of the third period to tie this thing up left all alone in front i don't know it, it's this uncanny ability that kachuk seems to have he seems to be able to find a place where he probably should be covered or there should be bodies on him or there should be sticks lifting his yet he's able to find a spot usually where there's an empty net in front of him uh, and he's there to tap it in that was the case last night that sent it to overtime and then carter verhage uh with the shot that you hate to criticize a guy who's been so good, but, man, Aiden Hill's got to have that, right? Nonetheless, great shot. Uh, Carter Verhage scores. I think part of that was, again, we'll go back to Matthew Kachuk, a great screen by Matthew Kachuk. A screen so great, by the way, that we thought for a moment there, uh, maybe that thing went off Matthew Kachuk. Uh, but, no, it was Carter Verhage and another overtime win. The Florida Panthers are 7-0 and in overtimes so far. Do not go to extra chuckers. With the, uh, with the Florida Panthers, you will lose. Game four is Saturday, and then we are heading back to Vegas for a game five. Now, one of the things, and we'll get into this with Elliot. We'll drill down a little bit more with Elliot, who was there at Florida Live Arena last night as part of the broadcast. One of the things that was interesting about this game, if you follow the, uh, the game within a game and the story within a story, 
The um, A couple of the quotes that we talked about yesterday from Paul Maurice revolved around physicality. And Paul Maurice was very much of the mind that, you know, the Florida Panthers had invested too much in trying to hit everything that moved, trying to take a run at everything in skates and a Vegas Golden Knights jersey. Now, interesting stats, uh, if you follow this one. Hits, okay? Game one hits. Florida Panthers, 36, Vegas, 29. This is a heavy hitting game, right? Gets better if you like that kind of hockey. Game two, Florida Panthers. Now you can make the argument they came a little bit unglued, so maybe this number shouldn't surprise us. Florida Panthers, 44 hits. Vegas, 24. Last night, Florida Panthers... After putting up a 36 and a 44 for hits, Florida Panthers, 14. 14 body checks. Vegas Golden Knights, 18 body checks. Stylistically, this was a much different game. It wasn't that there wasn't a level of physicality, because there was. Uh, we just mentioned the Keegan Colasar hit on Matthew Kachuk. But Florida didn't look for it. Florida didn't run around for it. And Florida was successful at the end. One of many stories we're going to get into. Elliot Friedman on the other side. Let's get the show going here. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And joining us from Florida, the one and only Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. Hello, Friedge. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Uh, I'm good. We have a, a, a lot to get to today, and if we have time, we'll talk about Game 3. So here's here's my impression of, of the NHL right now, okay? So put your mm-hmm. head back and imagine this. Close your eyes. Hopefully you're not driving right now or walking across the street. This is kind of what You, you don't want to know what I was okay? just doing. Were you working out, by the way? Are you in the gym right now? Yeah, I just did, and Bieksa was doing something with me where he was throwing a medicine ball at me while I was doing sit-ups. Oh, how we would all love to see video of this, Ellie. <laughs> Please tell me, like, Amber was there on his phone recording no, all but of I, this for the, for the broadcast no, we on did, Saturday. We did, do, we did record a video of Bieksa doing chin-ups through the roof earlier. I, I'm debating if we – he's debating if we can put it out. Through the roof? Yeah, the, the roof is kind of low in the gym. And it's one of those, like, <laughs> roofs where the steel the tiles move. So he was doing oh, chin-ups and putting his head through the tiles. By the way, speaking of Kevin Bieks, a great line yesterday by Roberto Luongo about uh, practicing raising the Stanley Cup. Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty funny. That was a really nice, really, really nice touch on the broadcast. Okay, <clears throat> so here, here's my impression. Impression time mm-hmm. on the program. Okay, this is uh, Gary Bettman messaging everybody in the NHL. Uh, Okay, everybody, uh, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman here. Uh, We would strongly encourage, or rather discourage, uh, any news from occurring. Please don't make any big deals. Please don't have anything happen uh, out of the ordinary. We want all of the attention to focus on the Stanley Cup final between the Florida Panthers and the Vegas Golden Knights. We don't want any attention taken away from our showcase event. The rest of the NHL to Gary Bettman. Uh, New phone. Who dis? There has been so much 
going on all week long, and it continues into today. And I want to get to Columbus's move uh, with New Jersey today as they pick up another defenseman. Um, but the other story is coming out of out of Ottawa, and Bruce Garriock reporting this one earlier that Steve Apostolopoulos has apparently pulled out, and that leaves technically three, but really only two. Uh, bidders for the Ottawa Senators, Michael and Jeffrey Kimmel, the Kimmel family, and also Michael and Lauer, who's a minority owner in the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, I know this is all happening very suddenly, but uh, is there anything more you can add to this little wrinkle with the Ottawa Senators sale? You know, I just think, Jeff, it's, it's, uh, it's, this is constantly uh, a moving target. It's, um, you know, like, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked on the pod about how about how about how this situation well just I don't know if out of control was the right word, but the process it was just messy and uh, it wasn't very fluid and people were getting frustrated and it, you know yeah. some groups thought they were going to get it and other groups thought they were going to get it and Apostolopoulos had the lead bid and other people were kind of being told where if you get to here you might get it and they were like well you put it on paper and and it wasn't it wasn't coming like it's just been it's just been a crazy process. Now I saw I saw Bruce's story. I texted someone. I kind of know what I've said is and is on the periphery of one of the bids. And you know, Apostolopoulos was the high bidder. I think everybody believes he's the billion dollar bidder. Um, and you know, the guy just said to me, he said to me, he said the goalposts move, and he thinks that that's caused some frustration. It sounds to me like there was something that was added this week or something that was requested this week that, um, you know, some people didn't like. And, uh, you know, but the one thing I think we should, we should know by now too, Jeff, is that there's no finality here. People go in, people go out, things change. This is a really uh, difficult process. And, you know, I, I, I saw that Bruce wrote that, you know, it's hard to see them getting back in. I think there's been other times where other groups have just said, you know what, we've had enough of this, and then eventually they come back in. So we'll see how it plays out. It's like, you know, there's the 110-meter there's the hurdles. There's the 400-meter hurdles. Now we're getting the 10,000-meter hurdles, Jeff. Like, this is a new Olympic event, a real endurance test. Yeah, well, I'm glad you got there because I'll be honest with you, Elliot. And, and again, I've never been part of negotiations like this, so I don't know whether this is par for the course or this is bizarre um, for, for a sale to, to go through this type of process. But what it does feel like to me is this one feels like, okay, who can – like this is like persistence hunting, right? This isn't like, you know, grab a quick snack. This is like you're going to run a marathon if you want to eat a meal. This is this is you know who's going to be the persistence hunter that can that can outlast the animal that they're chasing. It almost seems as yeah. if you know this isn't even just a marathon. This is like a decathlon, and it's going to come down to the last group that can keep their focus, keep their attention, uh, maybe keep adding money to the process as well. And it's going to come down to who's going to be the last group standing. And I don't know yeah. if that's sound commentary, but that's what it feels like to me, Elliot. Uh, it, it does. It, it sure does. I don't necessarily think you're wrong. I, I think the challenge here now becomes, like what my what my friend was saying to me this morning was, you know, the, the one thing you have to be wary about here, if you're the Senators, the bank, and the league, is if, let's just say for argument's sake, this is down to two groups, okay? Do the two yeah. groups kind of say, 
okay, you're kind of drowning a bit here. Like, and maybe that, you know, maybe the number you want isn't the number we think anymore. And I don't know that's going to happen, but I know the way these things kind of work. Like, a couple, I, like I used to be really bad at negotiation, and now I'm only moderately bad at negotiation. But I took courses. <laughs> like, you know, I, you know, I took some right. courses to try to improve ne- negotiation. And, you know, two of the things that, you know, like the small lessons you learn are don't ever negotiate against yourself. That's a big one. Um, you know, like understand the risk of asking for something at the last minute. Um, you know, when, when the yeah. whole Dubas thing happened, I wrote about how when I got to Rogers, one of the longtime Rogers people told me, if you're going to negotiate with these guys, put it all at the table at the beginning and don't change it at the last minute. Because that is a sure way to get yourself in trouble. And that has proven to be true in my negotiations with them. And I wonder about that here. Um, but the other thing that, um, you know, they talk about is know when you have leverage and wisely decide what you're going to do with that. And let's just say, for argument's sake, we're down to two people here. Like, how will they react? And how will they, will they try to squeeze the Sanders a bit? Will they say, okay, this is ours, we'll close the deal? Or do they say, okay, well, now you're down two bids. You know, you know they, we have a bit more of a hammer. Like, I don't know the answer to any of this stuff. But I've been around enough negotiations to know that these kinds of things do happen. Uh, can I give you a, uh, a hint for negotiating with your wife? This has worked charms for me going back to, uh, <laughs> say to my yes. relationship with, with Claire. Uh, say yes a lot and make sure if, if, you, if you ever want to get a win, cry first. Just do it, Elliot. Just start crying uncontrollably first. That's the only chance we have uh, with our wives in negotiation. So That's we'll, pretty good, we'll America. see what like happens that. here with, with, with thanks. It's only taken me, you know, half a century to figure out how to how to how to talk to someone and get an advantage. Cry first. Oh, by the way, speaking of negotiation, like I've always been of the mind, and this isn't some great revelation of, of mine here. And I'm I'm curious about the Apostolopoulos situation here. You know, I was only I was always told the best leverage you have is the ability to walk away. That um, is true. Do you think that this that this might be I don't know if you want to say a tactic um and then maybe he gets brought back in like the minute you walk away it's like go away no come back come back come back come back. Like do you think this might be a strategy or is there a finality to this and maybe we are just looking at two groups and Lauer and Kimmel. Well, I think that's what we're going to find out. Like, I, I always think it's possible. I always think there is the possibility for strategy. I think, like the Apostolopoulos family, um, I, from what I understand, their their father built the. Uh, I think his name uh, Gus uh, built the um, you know built the empire. And from what I heard about him, he was a brilliant, brilliant person. And uh, uh, so, like. Uh, I have no doubt that he taught, and I think there's three sons. Um, I have no doubt he taught them uh, everything that he learned. And I like, like you have to consider that. Like, even though Bruce wrote in his story today that it's hard to see them get back in, I think we've learned that there's enough twists and turns here that you can't discount anything. And I have no doubt that that family's yeah. been involved in enough things that they, they know all the strategies. You know what I always think of, Elliot? The great line by one of the shadiest people in the history of all of sports, uh, which really, to me, has has always crystallized and synthesized everything about sports. And it comes from Don King, uh, who once mm-hmm. said famously, 
Where there's money, there's understanding. Where there's money, there's understanding. So we'll see what happens with uh, the apostolical situation. If there is, if there is more money, perhaps there'll be some understanding here. We shall see. Uh, okay, the um, the trade today, the sign and trade, really. Uh, Damon Severson, uh, you've talked about Severson uh, plenty in the last few weeks, so maybe we shouldn't be surprised about this. Uh, but he ends up in Columbus. A third-round pick goes the other way, and it is a sign-and-trade eight-year deal, so max term. Uh, 6.25 is the AAV here as Columbus tries to redo their back end. A couple of days ago was Provorov. Today it was uh, Severson. They're grabbing as many defensemen from the Metropolitan as possible. Your thoughts? Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, initially I think Severson was thinking about Western Canada, something like that. Uh, I think that was his initial preference. Um, Columbus was very aggressive. Uh, I couldn't confirm it last Saturday when I mentioned it on Hockey Night, but I did believe at the time Columbus was the team that was really hot after Severson. Um, you know, Kekalainen just didn't say no. Um, uh, like, you talk about what to do with your wife, Jeff. I think a lot of us get told no 50 times before we finally wear them down to get them to even date us in the first place. So, uh, yeah, true. so uh, you know, uh, so... I think Kekalayan just didn't take no for an answer. And he said, uh, please, please talk to us. They had a Zoom call. Um, you know, they, he, he, Severson was willing to listen. And, you know, they got the deal done. It's, it's a big deal. Um, it's same as Calgary gave Uyghur last year. It's, it's a big deal. Uh, you know, Severson, uh, I think, is a really talented player. I know some people get crazy about term, and I understand that. I think athletes are better conditioned than ever to take a better, a longer shot into, the, into their 30s. But look, I think this tells us everything we need to know about Columbus. And that is that last year uh, cannot happen again. There's jobs and futures on the line, and they're not fooling around. And, uh, you know, we talked about this on the, the, the pod, Jeff. This is a very bad hockey in defense. You know, lots of guys who can play minutes, and eat up time and play hard minutes, and that's what he likes. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the Babcock part of this because I, I do wonder. Um, like we know that there was some initial conversation early in the process between the Columbus Blue Jackets and, and, and Mike Babcock when they started looking for a new head coach, um, and then it kind of got quiet, and then Babcock sort of came back, and, and, and he ended up being the hire. I do wonder. I don't know if you know or maybe care to speculate. Do you think these moves, whether it's Provorov, whether it's Severson, were one of the contingencies that Babcock put forward? Like, okay, I'm willing to do this, but we really need to do something about the back-end ASAP. I would guess two things. I would guess that he said it and they knew it. Like, I have to think this happens anyway, Jeff, regardless of what Babcock is coaching the team. You mentioned that um, there's a realization from Columbus's end that last season can't happen again. And I do look, just as, as an aside too, and I know the teams uh, always trot out injuries, but man, the Columbus Blue Jackets got killed by injuries last year. Uh, but still, there was some underperformance as well, and uh, no one's feeling sorry for Columbus here. I, I am curious, you know, this, um, and it did start really with Johnny Gaudreau and continues this year, but I'm curious what Columbus is thinking here. Because you look at the Metropolitan Division and you say, okay, if Columbus is loading up to go for it, 
What yeah. do they think about the rest of the division? And you look at Carolina, they're not going anywhere. New Jersey yeah. is a team on the rise. We can see them in the playoffs for a long time. There are question yeah. marks around the Islanders. Uh, there are question marks around the Penguins, around the Capitals. You know, there may even be question marks around the Rangers uh, here. Is this, a, is this a comment you think on the Metropolitan Division itself? I, I don't know if I would say it, it's it, – I think you always look at your situation first and then the situation around you. Um, I, I think I, I think you just have to take a look at where a franchise is in its, in its history and development. And I, I think Columbus, like, like we just said, Jeff, they can't have another year like that. Like jobs are on the line. Futures are on the line. And I think even it, whether the Metropolitan was a good division or a bad division – you can't have that. And I, I definitely think there was a sense that, you know, the, the players were allowed to have too much control or weren't pushed as hard last year. And look at the coaches they've had their greatest success under. Hitchcock, he was a hard driver. Tortorella, he was, he was Tortorella. I mean, Torres is hard a driver as he is. I think he's more fair than he gets credit for, but he drives hard. And, you know, um, I, I'm still formulating a lot of my thoughts on Babcock. I'm going to write something or do something on the pod soon. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, we've talked a lot about how Babcock has to make sure the atmosphere when they're not playing or practicing is, is a lot better than it was in Toronto. Like that is one thing that he absolutely has to be on top of. Um, but like he's going to push them in practice and he's going to push them in games. And I think Columbus feels very badly that they they need that. Okay, uh, real quick, so I want to get to the uh, the game last night. Uh, last night in one of the intermissions, you mentioned Ryan Huska and the Calgary Flames. Yeah. I uh, don't know how close that is, but uh, is he closest uh, with the stick and the marshmallow to the fire pit right now and getting hired? Yeah, but you know what? If you're the marshmallow, that's not really a good position to be. If you're holding the stick, that's a good position. <laughs> but if you're the that's marshmallow, that's the not a good position. Closest. Oh, okay. He, He's not the actual the marshmallow, to get it, to get his marshmallows. No, Are he's, you calling he's, he's Ryan Huska a marshmallow? I think you actually just called uh, Ryan Huska a marshmallow. Yeah, go, go go with that one. Radio me. You, you've been radioed enough. It's time you started lashing out at everybody else. <laughs> I, I got to say, I could already see the sports the, the, the sports net headline, Flames pick marshmallow to coach yeah. the Merrick. Uh, no, I, I think. Merrick, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I, look, I, I think I, I heard in multiple places yesterday that uh, it was trending towards him. I think the one thing you've always got to realize is that it, you know these things can fall apart, or there, there can be things that happen. But I'm under the impression that Calgary was, you know, putting it in place to for for Huska, and you know, as long as nothing goes sideways, I, I, I think he's, I think he's going to be the guy. Okay, uh, to the game last night. And thankfully, we have a series. And thankfully, uh, heading back to Vegas for a game five. Uh, game four is Saturday. It took overtime. It took heroics by two players. One, Matthew Kuchuk, late in the third. And then Carter Verhage, 
uh, early in overtime on a great screen. Yep. We should point out as well by by Matthew Kuchuk. That was a that was a gorgeous screen. We've talked so much about how Vegas is is getting in front of Bobrovsky's eyes. That was uh, more great work by Kachuk, uh, taking the sight away from Aiden Hill because uh, it's it's one of those shots that you look at at face value and say, oh, Hill's got to have that. And then you remember, well, he's got Matthew Kachuk shading him there. So, nonetheless, yeah. your thoughts on how it began and how it ended and everything in between. What stood out for you? I, I, I look at it as um, I really think like, I thought Vegas controlled 57 minutes of that game. Like, if I'm Vegas, you know, are you annoyed? Yeah, you're annoyed. But I, I think for the most part, you really have to like a lot about that game. I think the thing you like the most if you're Florida is that Bobrovsky had a great night. Like, that was, that was Bob before, before the final. He was back to that. And you're going to have to play a lot better in front of him. Um, Kachuk, incredible. I know they said he went out because of the protocol. I'm betting that there's more there. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that I, I really feel that for the most part, if you're Vegas, you're okay with that. You don't like the result, but you like the process. And that's how I would, that's what I thought about after that game. I'm, you know what, Jeff? I want a competitive series. I think it's better for hockey. Um, and so we get a win. I really like that. I think it's gonna. I, I think Florida is gonna have to be a lot better to even this tomorrow night. Yeah. Um, listen, Jonathan Marchessault scores again. Uh, he's yeah. been a great story. Um, Mark Stone power play goal to, to tie things up. Stone had another really good game here. The the one thing that I am interested in, even though the it wasn't as physical as games one and two. Uh, mm-hmm. There were still some moments where you remember there's some good hockey hatred here. Oh, um, yeah. Barbashev and Gudis. Barbashev yep. and Gudis again. It's becoming a, a game within a game, a story within a story. Game two, we saw Kachuk, uh, you know, get a healthy lick in on Jack Eichel. Thankfully, he was okay afterwards. And yesterday, we saw Keegan Kolasar return the favor. Your thoughts on, although it was more limited than game two and game one, uh, some of the uh, some of the violence we saw last night. You know, I, I, I thought Gudis. I understand that Gudis is mad at Barbashev. I thought he took too big a risk. You got to take that number and deal with Barbashev next season. You know, they were losing at the time. You, you can't take that penalty there. He's very lucky that it wasn't a power play. Uh, so I generally really like Gudis, but I thought that was a, a, a lapse in judgment. Um, I, I for me, Kolasar. I really like him. I, I like that guy a lot. He could play for me any time. Um, you know, the the hit last night was a great hit. Uh, I still remember the first game in Winnipeg when Adam Lowry went after Stone on the first shift. Again, all's fair. Uh, and then Kolasar came off the bench and went right at Lowry. And uh, I really like Kolasar. I think he sets a tone. You know, I was thinking about something the other day. You and I were having a conversation about uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs and their bottom six. And, you know, traditionally under Dubas, it was shuffling players in and out, and it didn't lead to any sort of identity, or there was no real flypaper there with players. There was this guy's in for one year, and then he's gone. A lot of this is, you know, out of of, of necessity because of the salary cap and how much money was being spent on, uh, on the core four. 
But I look at the Vegas Golden Knights, and you know we're all looking at okay, how is how is each team constructed here? How many trades? How many drafts? How many free agents, etc. And I can't help but look at like even just the the player that you mentioned, Keegan Colasar, uh, or William Carrier, or Carrier. Nick I Wong, think is another or... perfect example. Perfect example. Carrier is another I'm great one. You. But these but these are bottom six guys, Elliot, that have been there a long time now I, I feel weird saying long time around the Vegas Golden Knights but I think you know what I'm saying like they've been there for years there's no shuffling in and out here I know that the Vegas Golden Knights uh, under Kelly McCrimmon have the reputation as being you know the team that'll that'll do whatever and I don't care how good you've played for us Mark andre Fleury and how nice your smile is and how marketable you are you're gone hey Nate Schmidt uh, love that you love Vegas glad you bought property here but we need to make room for the, the guy that won the Stanley Cup in St. Louis so you're gone um, I know they have that reputation but when you look at some of the players that we're talking about right now bottom six guys they've been there a while and there's an identity and they feel like they're part of the team and I don't know that that gets enough attention or concert. Well, I, I think that the, the thing that Vegas does really well is that they identify talent and they get people roles, right? Um, look, they want to win. Yeah. I have no problem with that. Um, you know, they took some punishment for the reputation that they had but I think that when you look at them now, like, like they went through five goals this year. Five. And they had the same problem last year, like when Leonard got hurt. And they, you know, they, they, they yeah. went through five goalies this year, and one of them could win the Conn Smythe, and they're two wins away from the Stanley Cup. But, like, I've been thinking about that role thing ever since I heard that some of the Toronto players talk about it. And you watch this Vegas team, and everybody knows they're there. And they all accept it, and they're all made to feel important. Like, that's, that's something that Vegas absolutely does. They can identify talent, they create roles, and they make people feel important in their roles. And, uh, you know, like like the, like the D, like, um, you know, I, I saw Pierre wrote today about, uh, I saw Pierre wrote today about size on D, Jeff. And to me, it's, it's not mm-hmm. size only. It's size and mobility. Like, can you create a forest for opposing teams to get through in your zone? And not just a, like a regular shrub forest, but a forest where the branches have thorns on it. And I think Vegas has that. I think they do a really good job of identifying talent and and empowering them in roles. Everyone with their role on that team. And uh, and I think of the old saying, Elliot, you're going to like this one. At the end of the game, the queen and the pawn go back in the same box. We'll end on that one. The Queen and the Pond. Einstein back in the or same Kasparov. <laughs> oh, some of the greats. Some of the greats. Uh, all right, got to hustle on that one. Uh, great job as always, Frege. Uh, enjoy whatever you do on this day off, and uh, we'll be back at it tomorrow. You be broadcasting and me be watching. Uh, thanks, Frege. We'll, we'll chat on the next podcast on Sunday. All right. Have a great, uh, have a great weekend, Jeff. There he is, Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada.